it's good to see you this morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Jonah chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 4 through 10. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. It's good to have visitors with us this morning. We welcome you to the pastor's class. I hope all of you will be able to stay for Music Sunday. We have a lot of good music in store for us this morning, and then again tonight as we feature our music department. We're thankful for them, what they do, the blessing they are to our church. Amen? Amen? That's a rhetorical, you know, amen. Okay. I thank God for our music. I really do. And it's a blessing to so many. Jonah chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him, and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we will perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now let's look at some things here as we think about the lesson titled today, A Countering Rebuke. And this is where God rebukes Jonah and some uh, exciting things begin to take place here as we see a man that is out of God's will, a man that actually loved God and did not disdain God in that sense, but nevertheless a man that was out of God's will. Now, one thing we notice about God is He will go the extra mile to help His children to be in His will. He'll do things and allow things in our lives because He loves us to bring us back in line to His will. When we get out of line, when we get out of His will, we're running from God and we're not doing the right things, God will do that. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, He what? Chasteneth. Because He loves us, He gives us a spanking and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. And it's because He loves us that He does that. I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever had a spanking from God? I think most all of us would say, I have, 
And uh, when we get out of God's will and we don't do what God tells us to do, God will spank us, but He does it because He loves us. And so that's an important thing. Then He says also in that chapter, Hebrews 12, 6, and in verse 11, He said, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It sort of reminds me when Mother would give me a spanking and uh, that she would exercise her right to do that and usually it had a good result. And uh, God does the same thing. And you know how your parents and, and all you always say to your children, now I hate to do this, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, but I love you and that's why I'm going to give you a spanking. And uh, years ago, we maybe doubted that, but when we became parents, we understood what it was all about. But God loves us. We're his children, and he, if he has to, will cause some of these problems to happen in our life for us to um, get right with God. The psalmist said, My sin is ever before me. I think most Christians, truly born-again Christians, know when there's something wrong. The Spirit of God deals with us. We're saved. He lives in us. He convicts us and lets us know that something's wrong. And we don't hear an audible voice, but we hear the, the voice of the Spirit of God. It is a spiritual thing where He's speaking in our spirit to us and telling us this is not right, this is wrong, you need things that or correct that. Now here's the problem with a lot of Christians. We become insensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And that's exactly what happened to Jonah. He had, he had rebelled so long, so much, uh, and so often in this situation that he had sort of gotten used to the whole thing. God help us not to get so insensitive that we don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit when he's convicting us of sin. And the way we get that insensitivity, I believe, is when we just continue in it. We just go ahead and do it anyway. And the next thing you know, there's a, an atrophying of the spiritual life. There's a hardening of the heart toward those things. So we have to be very careful about that. So first of all, we see the blasting of the storm. The blasting of the storm. In verse 4, Jonah said, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea. Now, who sent it out? The Lord did. I might add here, too, that not every trial we have is because of sin. Uh, Jesus did not sin, but he had a lot of trials, didn't he? And he was crucified. Trials are sometimes opportunities in our life, not because we're doing something wrong, but because we can glorify God more. And God allows them to come, and through the trials, we, what I call, steward our child, our, our trials, stewardship of it, and we use it for the glory of God. And there were a lot of those people who went through those things that were living right. Job, I think, was living right. Daniel was living right. He had trials. Joseph was doing right. Paul certainly was doing right, but they had trials. And those trials can come even when we're doing something right. But sometimes it's 
because of his love that God has to chasten us and we are his children. He brings us back into uh, fellowship. And if he has to use the storm to do it, he'll do it. Now, we are reminded through this that God is an omnipotent creator. He is the all-powerful creator. God is. God loves us, and God can and will do whatever is necessary for our restoration. And he wants to do it. God still loves us. Revelation 4.11 says, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We're created for his pleasure. Why do we exist? We're for the pleasure of God, to worship God, to serve God. That's why we're here on planet Earth. And God is the one who put us here and made the Earth, and He can use anything He wants to as far as creation, what He's created, and the elements that are out there. He can use that any way He wants to. He's in control of all things. I have an idea that God was in control when the rooster crowed and let Peter know that he was out of the will of God. And do you think it was just purely accidental that that rooster crowed when it crowed and that Peter was convicted by it? I don't think so. God's in control of the rooster, amen? He's in control of the whole barnyard as far as that goes. And one time there was a donkey that he controlled and he made that donkey talk and he did that uh, to convict Balaam. And so here's an occasion where he made a great fish. We call it a whale. The Bible refers to it primarily as a great fish. But God had it there, and God is in control of all of the elements that are there, and, and all of creation is at his disposal. Psalm 19, listen to these two verses, verses 90 and 91. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances for all thy servants. And so God has done all of that and controls it. And uh, they said of Jesus, who was God, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He could say, Peace be still, and the waves that have to be still. That's God. God has power. All power. He's omnipotent. And he can do that. And uh, we remember the old song. I don't know that it was the most spiritual song, but it was the song that said he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, that's true. He does have the whole world in his hands. And then he is an overpowering... Uh, he has the power to overpower any kind of circumstances. If you fight God, you're always going to lose. Do you know that? Anytime you fight God, you're going to lose the battle because God's in charge and God has all power. Now, Samuel in chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2, 2 through 9, we read some of these verses to you, reminds us of God's power over creation. There's none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of thy mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that are full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry cease, so that the barren both born seven, and so that the barren hath born seven, 
and she that hath made many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down the grave, bringeth it up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low, lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep his feet, the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. Job said, Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? Job 9, 4. Nobody, you're not going to run from God and rebel against God and prosper. We cannot do it. God is in control. And Isaiah said, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. That's what Jonah was doing, striving with God. Woe, judgment, bad things unto him that striveth with his maker. So we have the blasting of the storm and then the breaking of the ship. <clears throat> the breaking of the ship. Jonah was down in the sides of the ship, down in the bottom of the ship, and he didn't see any lightning, and he didn't really, I guess, understand or know or care about how much wind was blowing. And it really took for him, because he was so content in his backslidden condition, it took something greater than what God had warned him with previously to shake him out of that backslidden condition. So it took more than just the storm. And so in verse 4, the latter part, he's talking about the ship was like to be broken. It's a mighty tempest. And it was so great a storm that came that it was going to break the ship in two. And so God is getting his attention, allowing these things to happen or making them happen so that he can do that. Now, look at what man does. Man's refuge is vulnerable always. It's always vulnerable. And look at verse 5 where he says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. They didn't cry unto the true God, but to his God they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea. That's like people who turn over a new leaf and say, I'm going to do better and I'm going to get rid of all these bad habits in my life. So to lighten it of them, but Jonah was gone down inside the ship and he, where he lay and he was fast asleep. Well, here all of these things are beginning to happen in the ship and the, the storm that was coming. And look at Jonah. He is very comfortable in his disobedience. And I believe there are a lot of Christians or a number of Christians today who are very, very comfortable in disobedience. And Jonah had made up his mind, whatever the cost, whatever the consequences, I'm going to ride it out, I'm going to still be disobedient. Whatever the consequences, I'm just going to be willing to pay the consequences. And so he is in a place that he thinks is a place of refuge. There are a lot of people that are the unsaved people who are hiding behind their good deeds. And they probably think they're going to go to heaven because they're pretty decent, moral people. I was watching one of our neighbors this morning as I was standing outside just a little bit waiting on Carolyn to come. And, and I was looking at him, he and his daughter, and uh, they were putting skeletons up on the front of the house and all kinds of uh, Halloween things and all, taking all that time to do that. 
and his little daughter was laughing. She seemed happy. He seemed happy. And my thinking was, you know, he probably thinks, and I've talked with him at least once in the past and plan to do it again, but he probably thinks that because he's good to his daughter and he's a good provider and, and uh, they have two daughters, we watched them grow up. We've been here long enough to watch them grow up and start driving. We get out of their way, but anyway, one of them anyway. And uh, he probably thinks, I'm a good daddy. I'm providing everything for them and all that. And he is a good daddy. You can tell he is. But so many people think those are the kinds of things that are going to get them to heaven. They're hiding behind their works, their good deeds, to try to get them to heaven, their religion and their good works. We were on a staff retreat the other day and for uh, one evening and uh, all of the next morning and we were staying in one dormitory-type situation, the staff and I, and there were five of us. Well, the weirdest thing took place. There were about a hundred Catholic women there, five Baptist preachers and a hundred Catholic women. Now, what do you do in that situation? You know, you endure it. I mean, you, you do what you have to do. And uh, one of the good advantages is they brought our meal to us, and we didn't have to eat with them that first meal because of uh, the logistics of it. But at any rate, there they were. We, we finished up about um, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and then we went out to get a bite to eat. We came back, and everybody was on their computers, and we were planning for the next morning what we were going to do. And then it was time to go to bed, and I thought, man, I'm out here in the country. It's quiet. I'm going to be able to relax and just enjoy it. After a while, I heard something. I had some gospel music on by my bed, uh, Pandora, and, and had that playing, and I was enjoying But I heard something louder than that. And then I heard something sound like a seance. And then I heard like that, all kinds of noise. I, what in the world? I pulled the blinds out, and they were right outside the window and right by. I'm glad they were by Brother Volante's bed and all of them. They were closer to them than me. And there they were. They had a cross out there. They were bringing these women, and they had little halos they'd put on their head, and they were nailing their sins symbolically to the cross. And they were going from station to station, and believe me, they did that until midnight. But I thought, how sad. How sad. They're going through all of this, all of this, all of this, trying to earn and purchase their salvation, all of those different things. And... Um, yet they don't know the truth about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I wanted to really just gather them together and preach to them, but I figured it just wouldn't happen. We were there for another purpose, but at any rate, it's sad when people are hiding and finding refuge in their religion. They have to be born again. But a lot of Christians find refuge in their own way. But God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55. There is a way that seemeth right to men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14:12. And so it is even with a Christian that we hide, like Jonah was trying to do, and find refuge in our contentment of living a life of sin. And then we see that man's resolve is in vain. 
They knew that they were in trouble. Verse 5, as we've already read it, they were afraid. But they tried to solve their problems without God. Don't all of us know somebody like that? They have problems and they're trying to solve their problems without God. Romans 10, 1 through 3, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge or truth. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The children of Israel trying to save themselves and solve their own problems, but they were leaving Jesus out. They were leaving the true God out. And so we have to be submitted to God. And here's what he said in that one verse. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And therein lies the problem, where people will not submit themselves. All it takes for us to be saved and to be right with God is to submit ourselves to what he's made available. And he's made salvation available through Jesus Christ. So we have the blasting of the storm. We have the breaking of the ship where they were getting scared. We have the backslidden uh, person down there was wasn't bothering him too much. He was finding refuge in his comfort zone uh, down in the boat. Now we have, thirdly, the burden of sin. The blasting of the storm, the breaking of the ship, and then the burden of sin. You know, sin has a lot of heavy heavy baggage with it. You know that? Any sin that is committed and practiced has a lot of heavy baggage with it. And um, there are those that, that are lost, and they say, well, you know, the Christian life is hard to live. And that is true to a degree. But let me tell you something that's harder than that, to live without Jesus, to live as a lost person. The baggage you have with that is a whole lot worse than any kind of any kind of uh, things that restrictions that we might have as Christians. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But an unsaved person doesn't have that rest because they have the burden of sin. And then Proverbs declares the way of the transgressor is what? Easy or hard? It's hard. It's always hard. It'll wind up hard. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Next time you're on the beach and you see those waves coming in, bringing that trash and the foam in, it should remind you of unsaved people. They are, they are not happy. They're, they don't have peace down in their heart. They may think they're happy. They may act like it. and They may say, I don't need God. But they'll need God someday. They're certainly going to need Him at the point of death. So we have in, in Jonah and sometimes in the lives of others, a careless indifference. A careless indifference. Again, back in verse 5, what's Jonah doing? Asleep. He's asleep. People sometimes just don't get it, what God is doing in their lives to try to get them to straighten out. I've pastored 46, headed toward 47 years, and anybody who has pastored very long can say, I would imagine that they can say this, that they have seen people that were out of God's will, not doing what God told them to do. They knew it. The pastor knew it. 
The people even of the church probably knew it, and they were having all kinds of problems, uh, tragedies, difficulties, physical problems, financial reversals, all kinds of things that were coming into their life, and they just didn't get it. God was trying to humble them and warn them and get them back right, and they just didn't listen. They just didn't want to. They just didn't get it. And I have seen that many times there in hospital rooms. Sin has a way of blinding the truth, blinding us to the truth. The Bible says we grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if it had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. And Paul reminds us about our understanding of spiritual things can be dimmed or diminished by sin. When we have sin in our life, we just don't have that sensitivity and it begins to diminish. And he said it this way, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And that applies primarily to the unsaved, but it can apply to a backslidden person who's out of God's will, a careful or a careless, rather, indifference. And that was what was wrong with the church at Laodicea. What was wrong with them is a description of the modern-day church. They were rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, Revelation 3:17. And so that was his state. And if we're not careful, it could be our state. And then there's a costly iniquity. Carelessness never eliminates the cost that is involved with it. And we always talk about consequences. And I can tell you, God, I don't know where we get the idea that God tolerates sin. God does not tolerate sin of any kind. He does not tolerate sin. And our sin affects others. We see that in these verses. Here's a backslidden Christian, we would say, who is out of God's will, and because he's out of God's will, look what's happened. The storms come, the boat, the ship's about to break in two, these men are scared to death. Had that happened, there would be women without their husbands, children without their fathers, and so on and so forth, simply because one man was out of God's will. One person that God was dealing with was out of God's will. Here's the thing about our sin. We better know it. Our sin affects other people. Our sin always affects other people. You say, well, it's just me it's hurting. It's just my sin. No. Every sin we have that we practice in our lives impacts and affects other people some way. David committed adultery. You know the story, Bathsheba. And he lost a baby. And he lost some sons. Uriah was killed because of David's sin. All of those things. The earthquake is not just at the epicenter. It goes out and affects people for miles. And so it is when we have sin in our lives. It's the very same thing. You need to be sure <laughs> that your sin is not costing you some things. One, eternity, be sure you're saved. Two, it's not costing you your family 
and your ministry and your service for the Lord. So many different ways it can impact us. And I as a pastor see that often and at times have, uh, of course, in my own life and own experience, had to see some of those things. So be sure that your sin is not costing you these things. So we have the blasting of the storm, then the breaking up of the ship, and then the burden of sin, and then lastly, the belittling of the sacred. And uh, this was the effect uh, on all. And the thing is, when we are saints, saved people, and we do things that are wrong, then it hurts the name of Christ. And so we have, uh, we have a lot of different verses of Scripture that back that up. A lot of people don't read the Bible, as you know, especially unsaved people. They don't, may not even have one in their house. But who do they read? What do they read? They read you and me. They look at my life and your life all the time, your relatives, your neighbors, people you work with. They look at us as the Bible. In Second Corinthians 3, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. People are reading our lives. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, the letter of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And Paul said, and he warned us, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, 2 Corinthians 6.3. So we have, when a Christian is not living right, we harm the cause of Christ in the name of Christ. And so what we need is an honest confession. In verse 9, And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea in the dry land. He confesses that he is, we would say, a Christian. And uh, Jonah begins to, to get honest and tell them what he is. Every U-turn made in the direction of God, back in the direction of God, is a U-turn that starts out with honesty, telling the truth about who you are and what's going on. Proverbs 16:6, 6, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. By mercy and truth. And it takes both of those things. And I can tell you that honesty is the right policy at all times. And some of the people we're most dishonest with would be ourselves. We just won't admit that there are things in our life that need to be corrected some, some, uh, at some times. And then we have a horrible confusion. These men were confused in verse 10. And uh, because of what was going on, they were the men, then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto them, Why hast thou done this? Let me close out with telling you a story very quick about Dr. Bill Wrights. Dr. Bill Rice was in a small city conducting a revival meeting, and they went to the motel room. His wife was with him. She said, we need some things. He went to the little store down by, close by him, and when he got ready to get the milk or whatever he brought up, they got ready to pay. The lady who was waiting on him pulled out a Playboy magazine and laid it down in front of him and said, don't you want this? And he said, no, I don't want that. And she pushed it toward him a little further, turned it so he could see it and said, are you sure you don't want this? And he said, no, I don't want that. He said, tell me what my bill is. I want to pay my bill. And he paid his bill. And as he was turning around 
walking away, she said, good night, Evangelist Rice. She knew who he was. She had been in the service earlier that night, and she was testing him just to see what he would do. Thank God he passed the test. How do we do? How many times we have failed a test like that of some nature? Not one that would really give us a good grade in that situation maybe, but a lot of times we fail in so many different areas, not just these immoral things, but so many different areas that people look at us and they just chalk it up again to another Christian hypocrite. And that's bad because of the cause of Christ. And that's what Jonah was at that point. But at least he was headed perhaps a little bit in the right direction of getting his heart right. God was going to God was going to have him thrown overboard. We'll get into that later. God help us to be real with ourselves and with God. Father, thank you for your word. Again and again and again we go to it and we find these lifelong principles that we need. Help us to not be hypocritical in any area of our lives but to be true that we might bring glory to you. Help us not to get in the boat and get comfortable. But, Lord, help us to hear your voice and hear what you're doing and see what you're doing in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.